section which we are studying now is the visit to vidyasagar sri ramakrishna's visit to vidyasagar and we saw that he ramakrishna finding vidyasagar to be a scholar is speaking of the profound philosophy of vedanta in a very simple language so without much introduction we will enter into the words of sri ramakrishna and discuss on it so as we saw that sri ramakrishna was describing the ultimate reality the brahman as we have seen in the last class what he was saying as for what has been said in the vedas and the puranas do you know what it is like suppose a man has seen the ocean and somebody asks him well what is the ocean like the first man opens his mouth as wide as he can and says what a sight what a tremendous what tremendous waves and sounds so the words fail to explain it's just like a babbling of a child a child has experienced something but it doesn't have sufficient vocabulary to express it so it is something experienceable that when i say it is avang manasa gocharam that doesn't mean that you experience nothing it's something like a state of coma or it is a state of vegetative existence not like that that some may feel that that after meditation what you become that you do not as if get affected by the opposite polarities of life so cabbage also doesn't get affected by the opposite polarities of life you put a you pierce a knife on it it doesn't react so do we become something like a vegetative existence no it gives us immense joy that's what the vedas says the vedanta says which cannot be explained it is experiencable but you cannot describe what to speak of the realization of the ultimate reality in our day to day life most of the experiences we cannot explain we do experience them but we cannot describe them just even in the gospel we find somewhere sri ramakrishna is indicating that when a woman has a child for the first time and she meets her 
childhood friends, the other girls who are yet to be married or yet to get child, children. And they ask that what's the joy you are experiencing of having the child? So the girl will, the woman will reply that you have to be the mother to really understand what the joy is. It cannot be explained, but at the same time, it can be experienced. So what to speak of the ultimate reality in our day-to-day life, unless it has been experienced by someone else, you cannot relate to it. So it is something experienceable, but not describable. So let us proceed what Sri Ramakrishna says. The description of Brahman in the sacred books is like that. It is said in the Vedas that Brahman is of the nature of bliss. It is Sat Chit Ananda. So here, sometimes we get baffled that just now Guru Maharaj was saying, Sri Ramakrishna was saying that he's beyond the Vedas, in the, beyond the Puranas. It cannot be explained. And now he's saying that he's Sat Chit Ananda. As if the attributeless, you just now you sp- spoke of the absolute reality as attributeless. There are no attributes. And now again you are saying that Sat Chit Ananda is his nature. As if Sat Chit Ananda are the attributes of Brahman. So here in interpreting the word Sat Chit Ananda, we find that the dualism and the non-dualism, they have their own way of interpretation. Where the dualistic schools say that Sat Chit Ananda are the attributes of Brahman. Brahman is Saguna. But when Advaita Vedanta speaks of the ultimate reality as Satchidananda, so they explain it in a different way. That Sat Chit Ananda are not the attributes of Brahman. Then what are they? They're the negation of all the limited ideas of existence which we have. When I think of my own existence, what is the general notion? that I was born at certain point of time, I exist for certain time, and I will die at certain time. So that's the notion which we have as per our physical existence is concerned. And that also when we exist, we are going through transformation. It's never the same. There are six changes. Sharavikara, Jayate, Asti, Vardhate, Viparinamate, Apakshyate, Nasti. We are born, we exist, we grow, and then the transformation in the middle age starts. Then as the old age comes, the decay process starts. At last, it ends up in annihilation. So that's the experience which we have. In Sanskrit, whenever they say that you are Sat, Sat is literally translated as truth. But what actually is truth in Vedanta? That which can never be annihilated that which is always the same. It is in eternal present. It is Purana, the word Purana. Sometimes we think it is just a particular literature. The word word Purana is very interesting. The word Purana really means Pura Api Navaiva. Ever aging, Pura Api, though it is very old, but it is Navaiva, it is ever young. Pura Api Navaiva. Pura Upina is Purana. 
that it is ever aging, never old. It is an eternal present, no transformation. And it is trikal avadhita. That our existence is interrupted by the phase of time. At past, I wasn't there. In future, I won't be. And in the present moment, I'm going through some transformation. So it's not uninterrupted existence. It started at a certain point of time. It is going to end at a certain point of time. So according to Vedanta, the truth is, which is Trikal Avadhita, whose existence cannot be interrupted. Avadhita means uninterrupted. Trikal means the three phases of time, past, present, and future. By neither of these phases of time, its existence can be interrupted. So it was, it is, it will be, it is in the eternal present. So that by saying Sat, what it is saying, it is not an attribute of Brahman. That limited idea of my existence as a physical being, which I have, that I was born at a certain point of time, I'm going to die at a certain point of time, and I'm going through the transformation as far as my physical existence is concerned, that is negated by the word Sat. By saying that, no, you are infinite. The real nature of you is infinite. It was, it is, it will be. And then the next question comes that even the modern science will assert that yes, it's true. Nothing is destroyed. Everything is converted into matter and at last into energy. But it is something jada, inert. Somehow the consciousness evolved by the conglomeration of matter as an accident. So consciousness as per superficial science. I won't say the science because there are certain branches of science which have started finding the inkling of consciousness as the foundation behind the entire existence. The quantum uh, mechanics in, to a great extent cannot be explained. That how the matter was formed cannot be explained unless you take a witness behind the so-called probabilities of nature. In the, I won't go to the description. In the language of quantum mechanics, they say that how the matter which we see comes into existence, that whenever there's a witness, when someone is witnessing it, just by observation, the probability collapses into reality. The reality is, to give an example, this example which we give, that suppose in a classroom, the teacher is not there, the children are all jumping, frolicking, and the headmaster from his office can somehow get the inkling because of the noise that the children are highly restless. So just to have a look at what they are doing, he comes down from his office, walks down the corridor, and by the time he's standing in front of the classroom's door, he finds all are sitting quietly. Just by his mere presence, all the so-called this jumping and this frolic fun, everything stopped. All are just so in the modern quantum mechanics, they say that by observation, the probability, the waves, as if got collapsed into something reality called matter. We won't go into the description, just to give an inkling that in the modern science, do we have the idea of consciousness as the foundation, as the fundamental principle behind the existence. There are, we find the echo of it. That's why Swami Vivekananda used to say very nicely, very proudly used to say that Vedanta, the Vedanta which I preach, which we speak of, the Vedanta, 
of hitch the of the for the, for the uh, this modern science is a far fetched echo of this vedanta that's what he used to say it's a very far fetched echo you this consciousness though it is not being uh, proclaimed but we do find in certain sections of science they have started speaking of it is a far echo and of course there is the sentence doesn't complete there he says and buddhism uh, that uh, modern science is a far echo and buddhism is the rebel child of this vedanta because when in hinduism in any religion with the passage of time some superstition some wrong practices comes into existence and then we find that some sanskara some rebel is required so buddha is a rebel child of that hinduism it's a, it has spoken of these principles age aeons back so here also the same thing by sat when it, it indicates that existence is there and when i say that existence is jada it at the most it can be converted into energy matter and energy then again the vedanta comes and says no it is chit swarupa actually matter is an epiphenomenon consciousness is the consciousness is a real phenomenon it is chit that ultimate reality which is always existing which is in eternal present which has neither past nor present nor future it is and that is conscious so again it negates the fact that it is jada sat negates the fact that it is having limited existence chit negates the fact that it is inert and ananda now <clears throat> when it is still sat and chit now we try to relate that sat chit the ultimate reality with our present state of existence what's that we find that in our life happiness cannot be uninterrupted with lot of endeavor i reach my desire a little happiness is there it's gone again again i find that i am struggling i have a new desire to get it again i have to just have lot of endeavor i have to be there and that's why we find that's why in scriptures they say that happiness in our life is just like a drop of water falling on a hot cauldron or a frying pan just the time for which the water drop is visible our happiness is like that it immediately as if evaporates so the idea comes that most probably if i am sat i am chit through eternity i am going through this wave of happiness and dejection and we feel really dejected is this my is this my existence that i am helpless like <clears throat> just a straw in the ocean just now i am in the top of the wave and the next moment i am in the deep in the ebb in the depression is this which has to go through eternity then again vedanta negates that fact this polarity is not there your ananda swarupa that bliss is your that sat that ultimate reality which is consciousness is ever blissful so now you will find <clears throat> that when after speaking of the ultimate reality which cannot be explained which is beyond mind and senses which is beyond attributes when sri ramakrishna is speaking that it is satchidananda it's not that he is contradicting himself from the vedanta point of view if we try to understand satchida sat chit ananda are not the attributes but are the negation of the fact that we are a limited being so that's what he is speaking that he is the nature of the nature of bliss it is satchidananda so it is a negation of the limited individuality sukha and other sages stood on the shore of the on the shore of this 
ocean of Brahman and saw and touched the water. According to one school of thought, they never plunged into it. Those who do cannot come back to the world again. Where the mental module, uh, this cannot come back to the world again. So this is again a very interesting concept which Sri Ramakrishna is bringing into his discussion. You will find that all the scriptures are as if encrypted in his words. In Yoga Sutra, there is the idea of Samadhi. And Samadhi has been spoken of as Sampragyata and Asampragyata. And that again, Asampragyata Samadhi, Savija and Nirvija. So these are the classifications. If you try to understand in simple language, that my mind gradually through meditation transforms. There's a concept of Parinama in Yoga Sutra. Parinama, transformation. The present state of my mind is the monkey mind. That is being termed as in Yoga Sutra, Sarvarthata. I cannot keep it in one thought. Constantly it is jumping from thought to thought. So that is the state of Sarvarthata. Through gradual through practice, what I'm doing, I'm trying to keep the mind in one thought. I'm trying to make my mind ekagra, just one thought. Pointed. Agra means the age or the, the, the pinpoint of the arrow. So just like that, your mind is totally focused, ekagra, on one thought. When I try, I find that it is so difficult. Maybe I may succeed for a few uh, moments. And unknowingly, it again jumps back to some thought from where it comes, I don't know. So why it happens? Now, before I took the resolution of meditation, my, that was the default state of my mind, to have thousands of uh, your so-called desires, thousands of uh, objectives, and it is running now this way, now that way. Now, when I take the resolution of concentrating in one some idea, what is happening? That as my mind for ages, maybe for birds, was in the distracted mode, that has become my subconscious mind. My subconscious mind is full of all those distractions. Now, if I think the mind, there's the conscious mind, the mind of which I am aware, the conscious mind, as the surface of the lake, then the, bot, then the deep waters are the subconscious mind. The bottom of the lake is like the subconscious mind. The surface is the conscious mind. Now the surface of the lake can be disturbed in two ways. If I pelt a stone on it, it gets disturbed. Immediately it will break into ripples. And there's another way. If the bubbles are coming from the bottom of the uh, pond or the lake, it is not visible. But the moment it comes to the surface, it bursts. And that, again, it creates a disturbance in the mind, in the so-called surface of the lake. So if the surface of the lake is our conscious mind, constantly it is being disturbed in two ways. The, through the senses, these senses are called golakas. Because the real sense is in the mind. These are just the golakas. Golakas means the holes through which the external perceptions like stones are being pelted and it is disturbing the mind. 
that's one way the mind the conscious mind is disturbed and another thing is from the subconscious mind already what is stored they like the bubbles are coming up and breaking on the surface and disturbing the mind now when i take the resolution of keeping my thought in just in one thought keeping my mind focused in one thought now this is a conscious attempt consciously i'm trying but i forget that for ages together the subconscious mind has so many distractions they are constantly bubbling up and they are extremely strong compared to your effort your conscious effort to keep the mind focused the subconscious mind with all its distractions is extremely powerful so that's why we find it so difficult it simply again takes my mind to that distracted mode very quickly even without my knowing now this may discourage us then then what's the use of trying to concentrate if the subconscious mind is so powerful it doesn't allow me to concentrate then what's the use of trying to concentrate so that's what the immediate the first reaction will be but one thing we forget that how that all those distractions i have been stored in the subconscious mind that how they have been stored at some point either in this life or in the previous life i have thought them consciously whatever i think consciously it is not lost it goes deep into the subconscious so that all those thoughts i have thought consciously at certain point of time and they all got saturated in the subconscious mind in the passage of the passage of time now compared to that my attempt to have a focused thought is very weak so it's easily disrupted it is easily broken by all those thoughts but at the same time something is happening even without our notice each and every attempt to keep the mind in one thought that also is becoming samskara that is also becoming samskara and now what happens this also starts going deep into your mind and slowly it starts saturating the mind and how by getting rid of the distractions the mind was already stored with the distractions that now this one pointed this ekagrata is gradually saturating the example which we give is suppose a cup is full of turgid contents impure contents the water is not pure lot of impurities are there but it is full to the brim now if you start pouring pure water into it what will happen there will be the water will start spilling all the impure water will start spilling and you will find that the turgidity is getting diluted it is reduced gradually it is getting reduced the water is becoming more and more clear all the turgidity is being spilled over and a time will come when all the turgidity has spilled over and the water is just the cup is full of the pure water so this is the process of parinama the first transformation from sarvarthata to ekagrata so it's a gradual process it doesn't happen in a day we find that sometimes most probably we have succeeded in keeping the mind concentrated for some time again it goes to distraction so this vacillation goes on for some time it is ekagra again it is sarvartha ekag the span of ekagrata is increasing but again it is being uh, broken by the sarvarthata and gradually we find that ekagrata is 
becoming predominant state of your mind. So a time comes when the mind has been totally being eradicated of all the distractions. It is now ekagra. Now the next state happens. That is interesting. Now in this life, very interesting. If you can really, there are various various way to understand the asampragyata state. Uh, the example which will be, we will be giving is not foolproof, but for the time being, you will understand. Just we will use some simile to understand that how from that one thought we go to the thoughtless state. If your mind is extremely concentrated in one thought, it is bound to go to the state of thoughtlessness from there. So just with a common example, there are many ways to understand it. A very easy way to understand it that this world is full of dualities. This world is called samsara because here everything is flowing. Samsarati iti samsara. Nothing is just standing still. Everything is flowing. And why everything is flowing? Because there is a polarity. Water flows. Why it flows? Because there's a difference of level from upper level to the lower the water flows. If both the levels are same, the flow will stop. Current flows, white flows, because again, there's a difference of potential. If both the ends, as in a Whitstone Bridge, we did the experiment when we were in school, when both the ends have same potential, there's no current. So all the flow speaks of duality. The moment you go beyond the duality, the flow stops. The mind is also a flow constantly jumping from thought to thought. It's a flow. Through ekagrata, when the mind has really became that the one thought and the next thought is both A. In the Sarvarthata state, it was A, B, C, D. I was, my mind was in that state. Now every thought is A, 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 A. So the polarity has been resolved. It cannot stay in that state for long. And then the mind goes to the state of thoughtlessness. This, as we told, that this is a way, in a simple way to understand, but still you may have some doubt that it is not a proper explanation. The actual proper explanation is that when your mind gets focused in one object, you will find the other things are falling off. The more it is focused, the more the other things starts falling off. When you are watching a TV in the game, someone is calling you, don't hear, because your mind cannot process that information. It's focused. When it becomes more focused, like a surgeon who is operating on a patient, most probably if he had to stand for a bus in the bus stop, he will find his leg starts aching in half an hour. But the same person, when he's in the operation theater, operating on a patient for eight hours, nine hours, he doesn't even drink a glass of water. He has forgotten his hunger, thirst, everything. Why it so happens after the operation is exhausted. But as long as the surgery is going on for eight hours, most probably he has not taken rest and he never felt the urges of the body. Why? Because his entire mind was focused on the age of the scalpel. He knew a little mistake will be at the cost of the life of the patient. That necessity gave him the focus. So in life, we should always remember, it is only the necessity that gives us focus. The student who knows, he's always aware that what's the future is waiting for him. That necessity gives him the focus. A sadhaka who is really have the urge that I am as if burning in this world of all these so-called uncertainties. I don't want it. I want to go beyond it. That necessity is bound to give the focus. If we really have that viveka, vairagya is supposed to follow. The concentration is supposed to, is bound to follow. So from that necessity that the patient will die, that focus comes. That focus 
is become so concentrated that all other bodily feelings the mind cannot process hunger thirst they are all have to be processed they are all biological alarms the body cannot so for the time being his mind is focused so in concentration what happens when the mind goes the focus intensity of focus goes on increasing at last what has kept us bound in this physical existence it is asmita the ego that somehow the when the sun gets reflected in a small pot of water and seeing the reflection in the pot of water either pot thinks the sun is within me that i am this as if this enclosed thing with the consciousness within me as localized but it is not true the sun is giving light to the entire existence it's not localized it's something unlocal so here also the consciousness has got localized because because of that i get the sense of asmita ego and to hold on to that ego a small part of our mind always has to hold on to that idea that i am this body mind consciousness on anything you concentrate that's very interesting in our scriptures you will find they say sa kala ya vimukta you need not meditate but if you are most probably uh, 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 a passionate about some music classical music or some instrumental music that can lead to liberation sa kala that kala means all these performing arts that's the performing arts which can liberate us how it can liberate us that focus can be so intense that at last even what to speak of just the bodily feelings hunger thirst tiredness need to sleep you forget that first a time comes when even that ego drops off that little part of the mind which is required to keep the ego intact that falls off and then your mind goes to the state of thoughtlessness asampragyata so now you will understand a very interesting thing that parinama when from sarvarthata to ekagrata it didn't happen in one jump there was a vacillation for some time my mind was ekagra again it was going back to sarvarthata the same thing happens here with lot of effort when from one pointed net is goes to the thoughtlessness now very interesting my mind the subconscious mind is full of ekagra vritti my i have already get habituated with that it is full of that it is this ekagra vritti that pops up and breaks the state of some thoughtlessness that's why you will find in the life of ramakrishna in the life of chaitanya mahaprabhu that whenever they used to go into the state of that samadhi they themselves instructed their purpose was to help the mankind out of this bondage so if they if the body falls off their purpose won't be solved so very interesting we find in the life of ramakrishna whenever he used to go into samadhi before that he has already instructed those who were associates stay with him to take the name of some of the uh, means form of divine some aspect of divine it may be krishna it may be shiva and with that repetition his mind will come down so very interesting we are using the mantra to stop our distraction to go to the state of one pointedness and he was using the same name to come down from the thoughtless state to the state of one pointedness how it happens that as the mind is filled with that one point uh, this one pointedness you that with a little suggestion it comes back from that thoughtless state because this is a very powerful step 
those who are extremely dispassionate paravairagya they again will continue to in, increase the span of the thoughtless state so that that becomes a natural state of mind to never come back again to that state of one thought and that takes them to that ultimate mergence where sri ramakrishna gives that example a salt doll went to measure the depth of the ocean the moment it touched the ocean it dissolved so that is a nirvijya asampragyata so asampragyata the moment the first time you go to the asampragyata many say that how can you come back yes all of them have to come back because in just in one go it cannot take you to that ultimate emergence because your subconscious mind is full of ekagravitti now another interesting point we have to indicate here that many say that one who has reached the state of samadhi for him no laws apply and many misinterpret it is as by saying that the one who is a brahmagya purush he that whatever he does we need not bother about it he is beyond papa and punya so this is again a wrong notion ramakrishna used to say i spit on such vedanta because from the discussion which we had you will understand that yes when i go to the thoughtless state i am beyond papa and punya but to go to that state i have already cultivated my mind to be ekagra it is already saturated with ekagra when i am coming down there is sarvarthata has already been cleansed off it is no more there from that asampragyata state i will come back again to my devotion but i cannot go down to the still baser things because the mind has already been cleansed so there cannot it's ever never possible for a realized soul to do something which is sensual and crude it is impossible if he is doing he has not realized it is something just a false statement know it for certain so that's why sri ramakrishna used to say speak on such vedanta when uh, he, he heard that some uh, monk was staying near dakshineshwar he he got somehow involved in some illicit relation and someone asked as a sadhu what are you doing and then he replied that the jagat mithya the world is illusory do you think my relation is real that is also illusory when someone reported ramakrishna he told uh, i spit on such vedanta because it's not possible you have already cleansed your mind your when my your mind is going to that ultimate reality where you really realize that jagat is mithya that even that happens in savijas asampragyata even that funds you have went there yeah, now when you come back it is impossible for you to go back to the besser it remains in the state of you and me that i am brahman that is also a dualistic idea it cannot go beyond that so here what sri ram now we will find that this is so much of idea is behind these two sentences sukha and other sages stood on the shore of this ocean of brahman and saw and touched the water according to one school of thought they never plunged into it means they do had that went to the thoughtless state but again they came back to the state of bhakti we find in the bhagavatam that that's the idea when sukha how uh, vyasa brought back sukha uh, to the world who was the all renunciate that he was the sukha the son of vyasa from his very birth had tremendous dispassion the moment he was born he went into the deep forest and was absorbed in samadhi but vyasa to preach the philosophy the dharma bhagavata dharma needed sukha so how to bring him back so he taught a sloka which is which depicts the uh, life of krishna which depicts the life the, as a child as a krishna as a as 
the gopala as a small child of vrindavan that sloka depicts that how uh, krishna when he used to return from the forest after throughout the day they used to take the cows cows for grazing and when he's returning with other other coward boys that how the dust uh, of the vrindavan uh, is just like cloud uh, because the, you know when the cows come back it's uh, the, all the roads the unpaved roads the dust like cloud will be just uh, enveloping you as if and the krishna how beautiful he looks through that cloud when he is coming and his vrindavan is getting sanctified by each and every footprint so that sloka is a beautiful poetic sloka that he taught to the some cowherd boys to go inside the jungle and to chant and hearing that sukadeva comes back from samadhi tears roll down from his eyes so he will find what it speaks of that the subconscious mind is filled with that one thought devotion from that he went to the thoughtless state by the little suggestion from outside of that beauty of krishna he again brings him back so that's why he say he has just touched he has not totally merged so just the way our mind at present can be ekagra for some time and it is broken by the distraction for these sages they are such in high state they are in the state of thoughtlessness but as their subconscious mind is still full of that ekagra vritti they can be brought down so they have touched the shore but they have not merged so that's the thing sri ramakrishna is saying and for that the purpose is there it is why they haven't merged for loka shiksha that if they merge who will teach the word it's out of compassion they keep a little desire to come down so that they can teach the word okay, so that sri ramakrishna is to give that wonderful example in other place it is there the three friends were passing through a road and they saw a very high wall and they were curious to know what's there on the other side of the wall so they managed to get a ladder they kept the ladder on the wall the first of, of the three the one climbed the ladder to see what's there on the other side of the wall when he was on the top of the wall he was ecstatic so joyful the other two were asking what do you see please relate but he had no patience he was so joyous he simply couldn't restrict himself he jumped to the other side so these other two were curious that what made him so ecstatic that he couldn't even respond to our question simply jumped so the second one also climbed he also made the same feat he also jumped without relating what he saw he was so joyous the third one climbed he also felt like jumping but immediately the thought came if i jump who will relate to the world that there is such a mirth of joy beyond this world so he restricted himself out of compassion there was no ulterior motive he came down so that is avatar avatarana that though he has realized that that gives the feeling of merging into it they come back that needs tremendous power to relate to the world if you uh, read the scriptures that has happened with all the prophets of all the religions it is from the silence they are merging they are coming back emerging merging in silence emerging in compassion emerging in love and that happens because that savija that the keep the vija the little that vijas is it is not all the seeds have not been totally roasted the good seeds the all the so called weeds have been eradicated but the seeds the real seeds the good seeds they're still there uh, he, they have 
willfully kept them because with that only they can come down to relate the experience they had and which alone can give the fulfillment in life. So that's the idea which we find Sri Ramakrishna is also writing that they have not merged. In Samadhi, one attains the knowledge of Brahman. One realizes Brahman. In that state, reasoning stops altogether because you're beyond the mind. There's no question of reasoning. So the man becomes mute. He has no power to describe the nature of Brahman. So all your language stops when you go to the realization. Realization, just let us try to understand with an example. So many times we give that example. Suppose a man have tasted mango and he go, he just tries to explain the taste of mango to a group of people who have not tasted mango. And he says, you know, mango is very sweet. It has some wonderful flavor. Now among all those people, one was there who have tested, of course, all of them have tested something sweet and they do have the idea of some fragrance. The fragrance speaks of some flavor. So one immediately interprets as per his fund of experience. He has not tested mango, but he do have the experience of something sweet and something fragrant. So he interprets, oh, the mango must be sweet as the molasses and most probably it has the fragrance of jasmine. The another one says, no, no, no. It's not like molasses. It's like honey and it has this smell of rose. And now you will find all are fighting. Why? None have realized. They're trying to relate the words with their available fund of experience, limited fund of experience. They're yet to realize. That results in all the reasoning, all the fight among religions, quarrel, all this fight is because of it is only those who after hearing the prophet is trying to interpret the word of the prophet with their limited understanding. That's what is going on in the world today. That's a nice joke that what uh, that in the name of religion, why there is so much fight? They say that God incarnated and he started revealing the truth. And there was a huge crowd surrounding him, listening to those truth. Now the votaries of Satan, they were concerned because Satan is, after all, Satan reigns the world. As per our state of existence, we find it is the evil which is ruling. Satan reigns. If God has incarnated and he's spelling out the truth, the Satan's reign will be over. So all the votaries of Satan just runs to report to Satan that we are in danger. Most probably your reign is over. God is revealing the truth. Satan was not at all part of. He was sitting in his throne and he told you, fool, you just don't see the things properly. Go back and see who all are surrounding him and listening the words of truth. Go and look. They're all my votaries. After listening, they will start preaching and my work will be done. So these are all those who have heard the test of mango. They have not tested and are fighting. Oh, I have understood. You have understood. My is great. These are all votaries of Satan. They're not the votaries of God. They're the votaries of Satan because they never try to realize once you have realized, you're bound to become mute. Reasoning stops. You went. It is only a realized soul can greet another realized soul. Sri Ramakrishna used to say very interesting, very nicely, 
that when a drunkard sees another drunkard, he immediately becomes so full of merry, he will go and just embrace him. So if a Christian mystic meets a Vedantic mystic, they will go and embrace each other. The fight is between those who are just, uh, what you say that trying to do business with the words, nothing else. And that's what the world is at present with all its fight in the name of religion. In Samadhi, when we go, it stops altogether. The man becomes mute. He has no power to describe the nature of Brahman. Once a salt dog went to measure the depth of the ocean or laugh. Because there are, we will find that sometimes devotees are laughing uh, without understanding what Sri Ramakrishna is going to say. But now after that, what Sri Ramakrishna says, that's again very profound. It wanted to tell others how deep the water was. But this it could never do. For no sooner did it get into the water that it melted. Now who was there to report the ocean's depth? So here he's speaking of that. Nirvija Asampragyata. So there are some who developed that up, they developed Paravairagya, supreme renunciation. Once you go to the realization that supreme renunciation is bound to come in Yoga Sutra, they say, why it comes, you know, very interesting. When I when I am established in the idea that I am, that I am such and such that has fallen off because of what has happened because of your concentration, all your attachment with the things has fallen off. You are just aware of that unadulterated amnes. Then what happens? The mind starts expanding. It's all our biases which doesn't allow us to really think beyond certain very narrow purview. Just say, in our day-to-day -day life, it happens. In the morning, you have to go to for work. So to speak of just let us think of the mother of the house. She has to prepare the meal for the husband, for the child who is going to school, who is going to office. And then she also has to go to office. She's so busy, madly busy. At that time, can you think she can think of anything past or anything future? Nothing. There is no worries, no tension. She's just engrossed in that narrow limit of his present existence. But when she's relaxed, then the thought of the past comes. Then the, all the anticipation of the future comes. So this speaks that when my mind is focused with, is totally engrossed with all the distractions, I can never spread it out. But when you're relaxed, then the mind starts not only spreading in this life, it even goes to the previous lives. In life of Buddha, you will find all the Jataka stories from where it came. Just before Buddha went to that enlightenment, before that, all the past life became palpably visible. Even in the present day, in the TV, I don't know how true it is, but it speaks of that basic idea behind it, that you will find there are some who are hypnotizing a person in a couch, and he goes to that relaxed state and he starts relating his past life. There are so many videos in the YouTube. So sometimes even if it is a hoax, you know that there must be some truth the, which has been imitated and it has the hoax. The truth is that the more your mind becomes placid, the more it becomes start, it starts encompassing the past. It goes even to the past lives. And then that ensues in Paravairakya. Why? It becomes palpably visible that how many lives I was just wasting because of that my narrow vision that I thought my career, my uh, 
this my money and everything is the last word that will give me happiness and how i find nature gave me anything give me everything at certain point of time and took away everything at certain point of time i was dejected and when i realized that life can give me nothing and death was approaching i died again i took birth went on doing the same mistake again and again and then that para vairagya comes enough of it then what is holding me when i have already cleared my of all the thought that i am brahman i am not the mind i am not the body i am not the senses i am brahman and you may think that this is the thought behind which why what's the need to go if i can remain in that ecstatic state but in that state that when the para vairagya comes then what's the idea that immediately comes it is this mind as long as this mind is there i will have to go through this process of birth and death let me get rid of it now that's very interesting that how to get rid of it the one who is saying i am brahman who is saying the mind is saying i am brahman still you are not one with the brahman it is ativada means that say it is ativada means you are speaking something which you have not realized when it's there's a story which i say that in our in our childhood it used to happen that a small we were also little children and among all the little children we all to play there was a small girl who is who will be very easily scared very easily she is to get scared so and that was our game we will just make a little face and she will get scared she will start crying and run to her mother and that's how we used to make fun just make a little face and she will run one day we found that she is running mumbling something so we became curious about what she is mumbling so we also ran after her and at last when we reached her home the mother was standing there and we asked her that she is mumbling something what she is mumbling and the mother related a very interesting thing that as she gets so easily scared that the day before the previous day she actually explained her for quite long that whenever someone tries to scare you just assert that what is there to fear just say within yourself what is there to fear and now she was running being scared mumbling what is there to fear so that's what where i say aham brahmasmi that's what we are doing we have not realized what i am saying still you are holding to that last bit of your mind para vairagya helps us to get rid of that and then that nirvija sasampragyata i don't want even to enjoy the bliss of sampragyata is a tremendous bliss i want to go beyond that enough of this unending fuss ever running never reaching enough go beyond it i cannot imagine it now we may think it is like suicide it is a sort of state swami vivekananda used to say that we are all mustached babes why just when a baby is playing with toys and is quite happy with chocolate you say they you go and say you have to grow you have to study you have to grow you have to become an adult and then you have to become a scientist and then he asks them well, what will happen if i become a scientist you will be in a lab doing research and there is a tremendous joy out of it the child says it's all bogus this my chocolates my toys i don't want to lose them so similarly when we speak of that state of para vairagya we say i don't want that it's a useless i'm quite happy with it so it's so difficult to relate to that because we are all mustached babies in the spiritual sense we have grown mustached but we are babies we have not grown at all we are still happy with the toys and chocolates our toys have changed but still this it's toy only nothing else as a child he was playing with some toy we are as an elderly person we do have toys but they are toys 
nothing else. So when that Paravairagya comes, then that question of ultimate merging comes. So when really that Vairagya comes, that they, and it never happens one by one. Sri Ramakrishna's stories are wonderful. That Vairagya never comes little by little. When it comes, it comes just in once to take away all your desires together. That he used to tell in a very interesting story that a man one day was going to take bath a village in village to in the near village pond. So he was just as he was going for taking a dip in the pond. So he was just wearing the loin cloth, nothing else. And was another towel was there in the shoulder. So one one towel he was just using it as a loin cloth, and another was his shoulder. He was about to leave the house to take a dip in the pond. Suddenly his wife told that you are extremely attached. Just see our neighbor, he has developed dispassion. The man was really surprised. You know, what you saw in him that he is that dispassionate, that you have you feel that he is dispassionate and I am tremendously attached. And then this wife told he has 12 wives and he's renouncing them one by one. So that is his dispassion. These Ramakrishna stories are interesting. And this man immediately told, You fool, can ever renunciation be like one that little by little? Do you want to see what renunciation is? I am living, never to return again. So he never came back even to pack. He was just wearing two, one loincloth and one towel. He never came back. He never came to pack that as I'm going, let me pack some things. He left once for all. That's renunciation. So that's the Nirvija state. It just comes to take, break all the bonds and you melt as if just like a soul doll in perfect Samadhi. This, the entire scripture, because these words are so simply has talked off. Actually, that's why we say that the words of this uh, Ramakrishna is actually from his realization he's speaking and in such simple word. And we miss the entire scripture is there. Entire scripture is there. And it's just like a flow it is coming because it is coming from his, the depth of his realization, like a flow, like simple words. And we also cannot relate to it because we don't have that realization. We have to study a lot just to really relate to these words of Ramakrishna. That's why they say, the more you go on reading the gospel as you spiritually evolve, it has layers of understanding. First, it appears so simple, it's not that simple. Then you find a deeper meaning out of it. That's why this can never be read as a novel. That as a novel, you can just read once, you won't have the inclination to read it for the second time. You know that your interest has gone, but these books never become old. Go on reading, go on reading. The new layers of meaning comes out of it and you become more and more enriched. The more you get uh, spiritually evolved, the more you relate to it from the different dimensions. So that's what you will find these words. So simple, but so profound. A devotee, suppose a man has obtained the knowledge of Brahman in Samadhi. Doesn't he speak anymore? So now this idea of avatarana will come to his discussion. Let me just read the words of the master. We will go to the discussion of it again in the next class. Master, Shankaracharya, one of the greatest philosophers of India, written the ego of knowledge to teach others. Just to teach, he has written a little bit of this ego of knowledge. After the vision of Brahman, a man becomes silent. He reasons about it if he has not realized it. Those who have not tested the mango, they can have thousands of discussions. All the Vitarka, you know that when the Samadhi Yoga Sutra is described, first it is Vitarka, Vichara, then 
it goes to that nirvichara first it is savitarka why it is savitarka that you have focused your mind but you are yet to realize there will be thousands of concepts so that is also a concentration so as it is describing the various types of concentration so it has taken the vitarka into his discussion it is purview yes even when your mind is focused but it is yet to realize the truth you are still in the state of mere concepts there can be thousands of such concepts and that's where the vitarka the question of argumentation comes it's only when you go to the realization it takes you to the state of nirvitarka savichara nirvichara so all this the reasons come when you are yet to realize once you have realized there is no question of reasoning he reasons about it if he has not realized it and then he gives in his own way the simple examples if you hit butter in a pan on the stove it makes a sizzling sound as long as the water it contains has not dried up but when no trace of water is left the clarified butter makes no sound the water speaks of that all the dross which we have in our mind once it's there gone off is no sound if you put an uncooked cake off floor in that butter it sizzles again so that who went to that silence now he comes back that this uncooked cake has been put on it he has why has came back out of compassion so again again he speaks so now how now he is saying if you put an uncooked cake off floor in that butter the butter first was sizzling then it stops sizzling now you put an uncooked cake on it again it starts sizzling so now he comes down again to out of compassion to relate to the word so now again we find that he is instructing out of his compassion but after the cake is cooked all sound stops so the when he is relating when the guru and the shishya both have realized then again there is no sizzling all the sizzling has stopped that's why sri ramakrishna used to say very nice a funny story that a man went to a spiritually realized soul and told please instruct me and he told first give me guru dakshina then he told you have not you have taught me nothing and you are asking for dakshina and then the guru told very interesting thing that once i teach you who will be there to give dakshina <laughs> you are gone i am gone so first you give me the dakshina so that's in a joking with us that when the cooking has been done then again the sizzling stops so this ram shri ram is is simple examples are really profound sometimes we that because you just we get the fun out of it but to when you really take the scripture in the background you will find how simply he is speaking such simply to say some this profound truths that if you put an uncooked cake of flour on that butter it sizzles again but after the cake is cooked all sound stops just so a man established in samadhi comes down to the relative plane of consciousness to teach others and then he talks about god it's a wonderful discussion we'll continue with it again in the next class om shanti shanti shanti